This message is from Grace Church, located in Frisco, a suburb of Dallas-Fort Worth. The Grace Church website is gracechurchfrisco.org. Craig Cabanis, the lead pastor, is the speaker for this message. Open your Bibles, if you would, to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. We have two more studies in Philippians, and then we are, uh, we're done with the book. And uh, we're going to do something, the next series we're going to do is going to be called Refocus, because we're refocusing our attention as a church on what are our priorities, what's central to us, uh, and we're trying to bring into focus again what, what, uh, what, what has been uh, our, our, our chief values and goals and mission and that kind of stuff. So we'll be talking about that for, for a few weeks, and then a very exciting series after that as well. So uh, I'll tell you about it later. So today we are in Philippians chapter 4. Last year, a song came out. It's still getting airplay right now. Um, it's written by uh, what I call kids. It's, it's written by uh, uh, teenagers, a uh, band called Echo Smith. They're teenagers. They're siblings, interestingly enough. And uh, they have an alternative pop song called Cool Kids. And it really accurately depicts the heart, I think, that anyone who is an adolescent or who was an adolescent can identify with. These are a few of the lyrics from the song. And I apologize if you know the song because the chorus is really catchy and you're going to have it in your head the rest of the sermon. So I apologize for that, but uh, try, to, try to cast it out. Here's, here's some of the words from the song, Cool Kids. She sees them walking in a straight line. That's not really her style. And they all got the same heartbeat, but hers is falling behind. Nothing in this world could ever bring them down. Yeah, they're invincible. And she's just in the background. And she says, I wish that I could be like the cool kids, because all the cool kids, they seem to fit in. I wish that I could be like the cool kids, because all the cool kids, they seem to get it. Which that could be like the cool because they seem to fit in. They seem to get it, and that is uh, the reason that song s- speaks. I think is because it, it, in, it encapsulates an emotion and a feeling that is uh, synonymous with adolescence. Uh, the sort of temptation towards insecurity, the sort of temptation towards wanting to be different, to look different, to fit in to have different gifts, to be smarter, to be more athletic, to be more musical, to be more popular, uh, to have more friends, to, to whatever it takes to be able to fit in, to, to be discontent with where I am and who I am and what I look like, and to want to be someone else, for then I'd be one of the cool kids and they seem to get it. And if you're young and wrestling with that, I wish I could tell you that it ends uh, it, it does end at some point. At some point, you get so old that you just don't care and you give up. But until that point, it doesn't change. The temptation to be discontent with who I am and what I have and where I live and who my friends are, it, it's a human condition. It's not an adolescent condition. Uh, I was recently reading a magazine published in our fair city, uh, and I, I did a study. I just, I didn't read any articles, didn't look at any articles, I just read the ads. And you can tell a lot by what advertisers attract. And next to ads about how to give your kid a better life, like get in the right school and do the right program, next to kids about ads, I didn't count. But my impression was the most common ads geared towards people that are adults were for uh, cosmetic 
surgery and cosmetic enhancements. And I looked at I didn't even know, I was going to read some of the ads. I didn't think I could say some of the things in church, but some of the things, I didn't even know what they were. I, I just knew, I think you can get bigger in places and smaller in places and reshaped in places. And basically, we're all Play-Doh at this point, and we can make you look different. And lest anyone get self-righteous uh, about cosmetic Sur- optional elective cosmetic surgeries. Let, lest anybody get real self-righteous about that, uh, let's just note that we all want to look younger and better, and that if hair dye was banned in this country today, come back in two months and there'd be a lot more gray hair in this room than there is right now. And if all the teeth whitening products were taken off the shelf and out of your dentist office, come back in about six months and there'd be yellowed and grayed and dingy smiles greeting you everywhere. Because we all want to look younger, and we all want to look better, and I don't care if you're 13 or if you're an old guy like me reading the local magazine, the thought, I wish that I could be like the cool kids. There's people 50 years old that are still singing that in their heart, because they seem to fit in. I wish that I could be like the cool middle-aged people, because they seem to get it. And the passage we're going to look at today is dealing with the battle for contentment. The battle that keeps our eyes on the Lord and off of what I wish I had, what I wish I owned, what I wish I looked like, what I wish my ability was, what I wish my social status was, what I wish my income or my bank account was, what I wish young people my grades were or my athletic uh, ability was, whatever it is. Discontent is a stealth sin. It is not easy to detect. Marketers play on it. Basically, all marketing is based on the song lyrics I just read you and the magazine I just described to you. Marketing is based upon largely creating an impression and a desire that your life is incomplete and that you need something, some experience, some product. You need something. It It stirs the seed of discontent that's already built into all of us here today. It's hard to detect. And when we are discontented about something, it's really easy to find an audience with someone else. So when we begin, even with Christian friends, when we begin to pour out our complaints and what we don't like and what we wish we had and what we wish we were and and when we tear others down out of envy and jealousy and those kinds of things because they have what we wish we had, you, you don't get called on that real often. We just all enter in, and and we all, it just feeds my discontent to your discontent. And Paul's going to open up a passage here about discontent and about the glory of being contented in Christ. And please note, if you're new to the series, he's writing this from a prison cell. The whole book had the theme of rejoicing, and he has been writing a book about joy from prison. And he is, he is experiencing joy in a cell. He is experiencing contentment. And what he's going to do in the passage that I'm just about to read to you, it's only four verses, but what he's going to do is he's going to open up his life. He's going to do verse 9, which is not what we're going to read. That's last week. Look at verse 9. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. What he's going to do is what you've seen in me. Now he's going to open up his heart. He's going to open up his life. He's going to open up how do I process life when I'm unfairly arrested in a jail cell and may be killed for my faith once I go before Caesar? How do I process that? Because I don't feel like a cool kid right now. This feels like I'd rather be anywhere but here. How do I process that? And this is what he says. Verses 10 through 14, 10 through 13, I'm sorry, Philippians 4. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly 
that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Let's pray. Father, we are a room full of restless souls. We are a room full of people with desires and thoughts and dreams of a life that we don't have. We want oftentimes a, a, a different life. We, we don't say with Paul, we know what it's like to be content when we are brought low or we abound. Lord, we just confess before we even read the scripture, we know what it's like to complain when we're brought low and we know what it's like to trust in our abounding and ignore you when we abound. So that's what we know. And we just pray that you would speak to us. I pray that you would settle hearts in Christ today. I pray that you would bring calm and peace and rest and satisfaction in Jesus to our hearts today. That the Spirit of God would cause our hearts to give thanks and praise and to overflow with joy, regardless of where we are, Lord. Please help us today to worship you and to honor you with a heart that is filled and rich with contentedness. Oh God, we pray for that. And we ask, we we cry for mercy. We need your help today. We pray that you would speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, let's talk about a little bit about the context of what's going on here. Verse 10, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. What's this talking about? Well, if you read, and we'll look at this next week, the final verses to the letter, here's what we find out, is that this guy named Epaphroditus has come to Paul in in prison, in, uh, in his house arrest. He's come to him, and uh, he's brought a gift, or gifts, plural, from the church at Philippi. And so he's brought some kind of financial gift and maybe other things. We know that they've supported him in the past. And uh, he says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly because you revived your concern to me. You didn't have an opportunity to do something before, is what he says here, but now you've done something. So now if we look back up at verse 4, we studied last week, we sang about it this morning, rejoice in the Lord always. Here he's saying, uh, verse 10, I rejoiced greatly at the gift you gave me. Uh, you, you couldn't do anything. You didn't have an opportunity, but now you have. Now, what, why didn't they have an opportunity before? Well, he doesn't say, but we do know from other letters, particularly 2 Corinthians 8, that Philippi and the churches in Macedonia, that was their area, that these churches had extreme poverty. And as a matter of fact, Paul commends them in 2 Corinthians 8, which was written about six years ago, six years, not ago, written about six years, yeah, the third anniversary of our church. No, it was written about six, eight years from the writing of Philippians. And so what he had said back then was describing Philippi, this church, he and others. He said, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity. And so they were really poor, really hurting, but they were giving to support needy people in Jerusalem. And so we know they had extreme poverty six years ago, so maybe they were unable at this point to do anything. Maybe they couldn't do anything. We don't know. Maybe they didn't have access to Paul. 
Maybe they didn't have an available courier like Epaphroditus to bring the gift. We don't know, but we know that they wanted to help Paul, but they hadn't. But now they, they've been able to, they've had an opportunity. Verse 11, not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Now this sounds like a kind of thanks you would never train your kids to give or something like that. It sounds like he's saying, thanks, but I didn't need it. You know, thanks, but what am I going to do with this? Thanks, but does it have a, like a return receipt that I can take it back or something like that? It sounds like that, but that's not really what he's saying. He's saying, I didn't have a need for I've learned to be content. What, what he's saying here is that, hey, here's what I've learned, that even if I have a need, I don't really have a need because my needs are met and I'm, I'm able to be content in whatever situation I am. That, that's what he's kind of saying to them. He's saying that for a number of reasons. He's saying that so that they don't feel like he was desperately hurting. He's not saying, hey, thanks for getting me that. I was miserable. Life was terrible. I was going to give up. Where were you guys? He doesn't want them to feel bad about the delay in giving him something. He's saying, look, thank you. I rejoice greatly in Christ. This is wonderful. Now, just so you know how I was doing, I've been okay. Even though I haven't had, I've been okay because I've learned to be content in whatever situation I am. I want to really talk about two things this morning. I want to talk about the nature of contentment, and I want to talk about the secret of contentment. That's kind of an introduction to this passage. And what he says to them, first of all, is about, I want to talk about the nature of contentment. He says, I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. We learn from this letter that for Paul and for Christians, contentment, contentment is a heart that is satisfied in Christ. Now, I know that sounds ethereal, and you can't really sink your teeth into that. How do you grab satisfied in Christ? That's what it is. In chapter 3, look at back at chapter 3, verse 8. He says, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. He's saying, look, Jesus is everything to me. That's what he's saying. Jesus is everything. And I had all of these accomplishments. I did all this religious stuff. I had the highest respect. I was the religious cool kid. I had accomplished everything that could be accomplished. People respected me, and, and I didn't know Christ. But now I know Jesus, and everything in the world that I put my hope in, everything that I bragged about, everything that I felt secure about myself in in this world, that's trash compared to knowing Christ. I just want to know him. He is everything to me. Contentment is finding our everything in Christ. It is a soul that is at rest in Jesus. It's not a restlessness where we're trying to find what life is about. It's a rest that has already found the one, Jesus, for whom life is all about. It is, it is a peace that is in the soul, in the heart, in the mind. It's a peace regardless of circumstances. That's what he says. I've learned whatever my circumstance is. It's not a heart that is constantly grasping for something else in this world, that's constantly grasping for something more in this world, that's constantly grasping for something different in this world. That's discontent. It is a heart that is free from coveting what someone else has because it's satisfied in what God has provided. 
So contentment in Christ is when I'm satisfied in however much, whatever God has provided, whether it's a lot or a little, it's being satisfied in what God has provided me rather than coveting what someone else has, what they own, what their lifestyle is like, what their job is like, what their spouse is like, what their kids are like, what their gifts are like. It's, it's not coveting what they have because there's a contentment in Christ, not just a contentment in my circumstances, a contentment in Christ in my circumstances. It's a contentment that lies in finding satisfaction with the giver and not just the gifts that he gives. A contented person is comfortable, we could say, in his own skin. A contented person is comfortable in her own soul because a contented person is finding comfort in Jesus Christ and their relationship with him. A contented person is not spending their life imagining that the grass is greener elsewhere, that life is better elsewhere, that joy and fulfillment will be found with someone else that joy and fulfillment will be found living somewhere else, doing something else. Joy is not just around the corner when my circumstances change. The contented heart is not the person who lives life saying, life will be good, meaningful, joyful, uh, peaceful, purposeful, whatever, when, fill in the blank. Unless that when is the return of Christ, then that would be true. But otherwise, no, it's not looking for joy just around the corner. Contentment is found where Jesus is, and Jesus is right here with us, in us, right now. And that's how Paul can write from a jail cell, thank you for your gift, I love it, but I don't want you to worry about me. I I know it took a delay. I don't want you to think that your delay caused me grief, that I was sitting here hurting. I, I wasn't in need, essentially because Christ was with me, and I've learned how to be content no matter what because Christ is with me. It's not about our circumstances. This is what he says, I've learned in whatever situation I am, verse 11, whatever situation I am. Now, Paul was an ambitious man. This, this contentment isn't a lack of ambition. He was ambitious for the glory of God. He was a, he was a guy who was going somewhere, doing things on a mission, it's not a lack of ambition. It, 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 there, is, there is godly ambition in our lives. There is to be godly ambition. There is to be goals and drive, uh, but the Lord's drive in our lives, ultimately. Uh, but when the circumstances don't turn out to match the ambitions we held, even if they were godly ambitions, that's where we remain content in the power of Christ by the power of the Spirit. That's what Paul is talking about. Now, I'm, ta- I'm not talking about how, how I'm living right now perfectly at all. I'm talking about what he is describing. And he didn't live this perfectly either because he's already said, I'm not perfect, chapter 3, verse 12. But, but he lived this as a lifestyle. He's saying, this is my lifestyle. Contentment, here's the other thing about contentment. It's a rest in Christ. It's not tied to our circumstances. It's learned. It's learned. Verse 11, not that I'm speaking being need, for I have learned in whatever situation. Contentment doesn't come naturally. It's learned. Contentment is not, uh, contentment is not a personality type. Oh, he's just easygoing. He's just really mellow. Nothing bothers her. She's just content. Like, that's a personality type. He's type A, driven, high strung. That's probably what Paul was, and he's content. Oh, she's just mellow. Nothing gets to her. It's her personality. It's not a personality type. 
because Paul was a, was a go-for-it kind of guy. He was going somewhere, but he was content when he couldn't go anywhere. He was content. It's not a, just kind of a style. It's not a culture. My wife and I, we grew up in Texas, but we spent in, in, uh, almost two decades in Southern California. All our kids were born there. And so it's not, we were there this summer visiting. And the culture is really, just being there again, it's like, wow, it's really laid back, even compared to here. And here's laid back compared to New York or something like that. But it is, it just seems like people are just okay, just content. It's not contentment, that's weed. That's what's happening in Southern California. (laughs) I'm serious. And I'm only halfway joking. I don't want to talk about that topic right now. I would like to teach on that topic. I would like to teach on that topic. But I think that here's the the issue, is that when someone pursues a contentedness of heart in a substance, in a substance, whether whether it's smoked or whether you drink it or whether it's a pill you ingest, whenever someone seeks contentment in a substance, it is a false contentment. So it's not contentment in a circumstance, it's contentment in a substance. That's why a lot of people overdrink and take drugs. It's to medicate a restless soul so that it comes at rest. So I was kind of probably making an inappropriate joke, but I was making a joke, but I'm also serious about that because there is a sense in which that is uh, there's a sense in which that is a medicated contentment. And Paul is saying, no, I don't find my contentment there. I find my contentment in Christ. Whatever the situation, it's learned. So that's very hopeful because we can all learn. How did Paul learn this? Well, Paul learned it because he had an Old Testament. He didn't have the New Testament. He was writing it, so he didn't have that. But we have the Bible. And the way we learn contentment in the first way The way we become content in Christ is that we know Christ. We learn who Jesus is. We fill our mind with, what did we read this morning? Back uh, up in verse 8, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, we fill our minds with those things, those truths about God, and that... That, that is a way you learn contentment, is you learn the person that you're content in, Jesus Christ. We learn about him. Listen to these, I'm just going to read you a couple of verses uh, from the Bible. Psalm 63, 3. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. What's he saying? Your love for me, God, and we, didn't we have a, we had a prayer or a word along these lines this morning. Your love for me is better than life. So if I'm looking at what I have in life, I might not praise you. If it's going bad, I might not praise God in my circumstances. If it's going good, I may praise you temporarily, a conditional praise. But the psalmist says, because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. I know you, I know your love, your steadfast love. So as we think about the love of God for us, which is relentless, which is constant, which is unchanging, which is permanent, which is not based on anything we've done, but is based purely on his love for us. It's grace. He loves us. He's with us. He's going to take us to uh, eternal life with him in a new heavens and new earth. He is faithful to us. His love, just where we are today, he loves us. That is better than life, and I'm going to praise you. So the scripture says, learn something about the love of God. Or Psalm 4-7, you have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. 
He's saying that the abundance of grain and wine is a picture of the harvest. Even though when they have a huge crop and a great harvest, life's going well for them, I have more joy than that because you've given it to me. The Lord supplies the joy. The Lord is our joy. The Lord is our strength. Or Hebrews 13, 5. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. There's a contentment verse. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Another contentment verse. Keep your life free from the love of money because I will never leave you or forsake you. So don't live your life thinking, I, I, I'm, I may not have enough. I may not have what I want or what I need. Don't live your life loving money, putting your security in money, putting your desire for money, putting your, your, your confidence in money, putting your hope in money, which is power to change your life. Power, so we think. Power to buy different, look different, live different. Um, money for that. Don't, don't put your heart there. I'll never leave or forsake you. I am with you. Contentment is found in knowing that he is with me, that he will never leave me, that no circumstance could occur in my life that would separate me from the love of Christ. That's what Romans 8 says at the end of the chapter. So we learn contentment by learning the truth of Scripture in our life. And so Paul says, because Christ is life and he knows Christ, because Jesus is life to him, he knows what it is, verse 12, to be brought low, knows what it is to be content when he's brought low, and when he abounds. Paul lived an absolute, if you read his life in the book of Acts, Paul lived an absolute roller coaster life. There was ups and downs in this guy's life. We think, if my life would even out, if it would even out, if my job would even out, then I would be content. Well, Paul's job didn't even out. I mean, you even think about how he planted this church. He's writing the Philippians, how he planted that church. Here's what happens. He goes into Philippi. There's no synagogue. He's walking outside of the town. There's some ladies praying. He walks up, starts talking to them. The Bible says that the Lord opened Lydia's heart. She's a lady there. She's listening to him, opens up her heart, and she believes in Jesus. It's a wonderful way to start a church. Guess what? She's a rich businesswoman. She sells a rare fabric, an imported fabric that she sells. So she says to Paul and his team, why don't you guys come stay at my house? Uh, you know, and because we're told the kind of fabric she sells, where it's from, you wouldn't just mention that. You know, she sold white cotton. No, this is something that is communicating something about her. So likely she's a wealthy businesswoman and may have even, there's some speculation that the church may have even met in her house after the church gets started. That's possible. Her name's Lydia. So Paul and the team, they go stay at a nice place. They probably ate well. They probably were very comfortable. But guess what happens later? In Philippi, same city, uh, uh, a lot happens, but this, this kind of riot thing happens. Paul gets arrested and beaten and thrown in jail. Hey, we're not at Lydia's house in the guest quarters anymore as the team. Now, uh, Paul and Silas are in jail they are beaten, they are bloodied, it's midnight. So now they're spending time in the, the Philippian jail, uh, and they're singing at midnight. Singing. Now we get it if you sing at the business person's wealthy house, and we're eating well and everything's nice. Okay, I can sing there, but what about when you're in jail, and he's singing in Philippi, is what the scripture says, and then an earthquake comes and they get free. It's, ama- it's amazing. Amazing story from the book of Acts. But even in the planting of this church, Paul knew what it was like, what does he say, to abound, to be brought low, and to abound. He knows what that's like. 
because he experienced it throughout his life in the book of Acts, we read that, but he experienced it in this church. They would know about that. Oh yeah, Paul did. Remember he did abound. Remember how he first, how the church first started with the first convert? Oh yeah, remember how he was brought low and how he was in jail. Sometimes he faced plenty, he says. Sometimes he faced hunger. Sometimes he faced, um, I'm in verse 12, plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Paul says, whatever circumstance I'm in, I, I, know, I know this secret of contentment. Let me read you a brief account. And don't turn there. I want you to just listen to this. Sometimes it's, 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 sometimes it's healthy for us just to hear the word of God because if you were in a church in the first century, everybody didn't have a Bible uh, and, a, uh, and a smartphone and an iPad or whatever to look it up. Uh, they just heard it read. And this is what you would have heard read from Paul in, in 2 Corinthians 11. Listen to Paul's life. Because you think, I know how to be content when I'm brought low. List what brought low means. Brought low doesn't mean, man, traffic was bad, and I was 30 minutes late for work. Man. Brought low, brought low doesn't mean you dropped your iPhone and cracked the screen. That's not what Paul's talking about. when he said, I mean, that may, may be brought low, but that's not what he's talking about. This is what he says, verse 23. He's describing his ministry. There's some other people that say they're better leaders than Paul. And Paul's saying, well, no, actually, I'm a more godly leader, and here's why. He says, verse 23, are they servants like Christ? I'm a better one. I am talking like a madman. Here's what he says about his life. I have far greater labors, far more imprisonments. How do we know he's a minister? He has more imprisonments. With countless beatings and often near death. There's not a person in this room that has lost count of the number of beatings they've received by the government for being a Christian. We, no, cannot relate to that. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. So five times I was lashed 39 times. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned, rocks thrown at him to kill him. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many sleepless nights. Okay, there are some moms of toddlers, there are infants, babies that can relate to that one. Fair enough, we got that. But that's like the only thing we're relating to in this. Many sleepless nights, in hunger, in thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there's the daily pressure on me uh, of my anxiety for all the churches. I'm concerned about all you guys in the midst of all this, he says. Who is weak and I am not weak? Who is made to fall and I am not indignant? So, so Paul is giving an astounding testimony. A night and a day at sea, but I found out how to be content. Uh, beatings, I found out how to be content. Danger everywhere. I love how he says, I'm in danger from my people, that would be the Jews. I'm in danger from the Gentiles, that would be every non-Jew. So everybody, everybody is a danger to me, is what he's saying. I'm constantly in danger. It's an astounding testimony. I mean, I need some of that contentment. Now, here's, here's the most shocking part of the passage to me. So I've shared all that crazy stuff Paul went through, and he's content. Here's, here's the most surprising part of the passage to me. Verse 12, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. 
What is the secret to facing plenty and being content? What is the secret of facing hunger and being content? A day and a night at sea, 39 lashes, stoned, and you're content there? What's the secret? He's saying, I've also learned the secret of when I have everything I need and an abundance, I've learned how to be content in that situation. See, now he's talking where we live on a, on a, on a world scale and on a historic scale, we are those who are facing plenty. Now, I'm sensitive. I know maybe you're, maybe you're unemployed. Maybe you don't have plenty in the bank right now. But in the terms, in comparison to world history and in comparison to most of the world today, there are resources to help. We are facing plenty. We are facing an abundance. I mean, I look at that and say, isn't that pretty easy? Okay, so I've got to know the secret. I've got to go through the trial of having way too much stuff or of getting beaten. Let me learn this one over here. This is the trial I'd like to learn about. Why do we need a secret? Who needs a secret? Who needs training to know how to have a contented heart when you've got all that you need? When you're on vacation, when you have food, the pantry is full and the friends are plentiful and there's money in the bank for tomorrow. Well, that's sometimes where contentment is the most difficult. Dennis Johnson in his commentary on Philippians wrote, the challenge is to be content when we have more than we need, but less than we want. The battle of contentment for most of us in this room, most of us, it's how am I content when I have more than I need, but less than I want. He goes on in, that, in, there, in there to say that the desire for more, when you have all that you need, and there's a desire for more, 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 different, better, newer, that that is like a narcotic, he says. It's, it's a Addicting. The desire for more is addictive. The desire to want more, to want new, to want different. That's the real challenge for most of us. The real challenge is to know, how, do I, how am I content with all this stuff? How is it that stuff and things and opportunity, that's another one, opportunity, even if I don't have it, I've got the opportunity in this country. So even with all the stuff and the things and the opportunities, how is it that I allow myself not to grasp onto those things, to put my hope in those things, but to put my hope in Christ when I've got all that I need? In some ways, it's easier to look for Christ when I'm suffering. It's easier, more natural to look to Christ when I am desperately in need than when I have what I need and I just want more or different. See, I think that discontent is not just that we are looking for earthly things to fulfill us. I think the primary issue is that we're not looking to Christ to fulfill us. It's not just that I'm looking for things. It's that I'm not looking to Christ. In the first place, based on what he's saying here about contented and abounding, contented and facing plenty, I think that The challenge is not just a materialism problem or an ingratitude problem or a coveting problem or a lust problem. It's a Jesus problem. It's not being satisfied in him. It's saying in my heart of hearts, he's really not enough. He's really not good enough. He's really not interesting enough. He's really not fulfilling. What I have in Christ, it's it's not enough. I need, therefore, something else. 
And so Paul says we need this secret. He has this secret of contentment. So discontent is common in us as well. It's common, and, 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 and it's, a human, it's a human condition that we all struggle with. That's a little bit about the nature of contentment. I'm going to speak very briefly about the secret of contentment. Look what he says. I have found, I'm in, I'm in verse 12, I have found, I have learned, I'm sorry, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. What is the secret? Well, the secret's in the next verse. The secret is verse 13. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. The secret of contentment in any circumstance is that contentment does not come from any circumstance. The secret of contentment uh, in any circumstance is that contentment does not come from any circumstance, but from the strength that Jesus provides. The secret is contentment, I'm weak and cannot be content on my own. But there's strength in Christ, and that's where my contentment comes. There's strength that he provides. There's strength in his grace, and I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now, this is going to probably ruin a verse for a lot of us. Uh, (laughs) Because I know it's on the coffee mugs. I know it's on the bumper sticker. I know it's on the t-shirt. I know it's one of the first verses we... uh, we um, learn and memorize, and it's powerful. But let's just note, I can do all things through Christ. The all things that he's talking about in context are plenty and hunger. The all things are abundance and need. And um, welcome to America. We yank that out of context, and we make that a motivational verse that says, if you believe it, you can achieve it, right? That's a, you can do whatever you want. You can have whatever you want. Or sometimes it's like, you can have whatever you say. And it becomes this, wow, I can do everything. It's a motivational mantra just tack Jesus on there through Christ who strengthens me. He's the one who is here to serve my dreams. I've got big dreams in life, and Jesus is going to fulfill them. For I am his dream. I mean, that's almost what it sounds like. I can do whatever I want, whatever I put my mind to, I can do it through Christ. And so that gets ripped out of context. And in a society that embraces very naturally prosperity theology, it just becomes a theology that says, I can have whatever I want, and Jesus will, as long as I'm praying and asking him and confessing his word, he will give me what I want. And it becomes like some magical incantation to get what I want. And when we use that verse as a magical incantation to get what we want, it has a lot more to do with pagan idolatry than it does biblical Christianity. That's voodoo is what that is. That's not biblical Christianity. What he's saying here is, here's a guy in jail facing execution. And he's not saying, if you believe God for a new car, God will give it to you. What he's saying is, I can look death in the eye and say, Christ is more than enough. 
That's what he's saying. He's saying, my team can stay at Lydia's place. Now, this is creative imagination. I don't know what her house was like. But we can stay at the rich person's house, and we can sleep in a great bed and have a great meal. And you know what? Our heart's not attached to that. That's not our life. Jesus is. So I can face prosperity and have my heart on Jesus. I can face adversity and have my heart on Jesus because he gives me the strength. The only way I can be content in good times and bad is through Christ. That's what that verse means. That's the context of that verse. We can't rip it out of context and say, God is here to fulfill my dreams and make me happy. We say, no, I am here to serve him, and he graciously will lead me through hard times and through blessings, through sorrow and joy, and no matter, that's the glory of it, no matter what my life is like, I can have contentment because of Christ. By Christ's power, he is more than enough. And so the can-do here, I can do all things, the can-do here is be content, experience joy, experience peace, experience grace. God may change my circumstances. We pray for the sick in this church and trust God to heal sick people. So we, we believe that God could change a circumstance, but if he doesn't, there's a hope for the dying person. It's not that you didn't have enough faith or what sin caused this to happen. It's that God's going to reveal his power and his strength so that you can delight in him even in suffering. That's power. That's glorious. No matter what happens, regardless of our circumstances, we can find joy in Christ. That is greatness. That is the greatness of Christ in our lives. The secret of contentment is that contentment comes apart from our circumstances. It comes from the strength that Jesus gives. Contentment is a gift. It's a gift of grace. It's Jesus coming alongside by the Spirit a falsely accused, persecuted, hated, troubled, suffering man in prison and says, your life's not about you. I'm with you. There's going to be joy. I'm going to use you. And there's a contentment to him. How do we apply this? couple things we're done. Contentment is way more valuable than I believe any of us realized. It really is. From a biblical worldview, the ads in the magazine would be scriptures about Christ that would build contentment, not other things that would uh, ultimately replace him in my life. Contentment is valuable. We said this before, but the richest person in the room is not the person who has the biggest bank account. The richest person in the room is the person who's most deeply satisfied in Christ, regardless of what he has. That's riches. That's wealth. And that's accessible to everyone in the room. That is wealth. If I can be content in Christ, if I can sing in prison, as Paul did, if I can take a beating for Jesus and be chained and sing hymns of praise, that's wealth. That's richer than any man in a palace who doesn't know Christ and isn't rejoicing in him. Because you can't shake a person contented in Christ. You can't take their joy. You can't take their Jesus. You can't take their peace. That is worth pursuing. You can't lure them with the false promises of life. The content person is not lured. The content person may 
may buy or own something nice, may have a good meal, may do something that's enjoyable as an earthly experience, but they're doing that and thanking God for it and enjoying it, not attaching their heart to it, but attaching their heart to God, the giver of all good gifts. I'm not talking about some kind of, uh, you know, uh, everybody uh, being nomad, uh, impoverished or homeless or something like this. I'm not talking about that, but I'm talking about not attaching our heart to whatever we have. So contentment is way more valuable than most of us realize, and it is worthy of our pursuit. So if you're here today, I don't want to minimize anybody's suffering. I I hope it doesn't come off that way. I I am not minimizing real suffering and difficulty and hardship and seasons of darkness and loneliness and hardship. I'm not minimizing the effects of that. But I do want to hold out a scripture promise that I've learned in facing plenty, whether hunger or abundance, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's a verse for you. That's a verse for me. If you're single and want to be married, if you're childless and want children, if you're unemployed or underemployed with no career future sort of stuck, that, that there's a promise that God may change your circumstances. Let's pray for him to do so. But there's a promise that until you have that job or until you have that spouse, that God has contentment in Christ for you today by his spirit. If you've been rejected by your family or your friends if you've been excluded, if you could relate to the song lyrics I read at the beginning, because you've been excluded by others, if you're in physical pain and maybe even dying here today, that is not, I am not saying that is easy. We want to pray for you. We want to grieve with you. I'm not saying that's minimal. All, All I'm saying is that there's a contentedness in Jesus that I believe he holds out as a gift of grace for those who will by grace, ask him to help us root our contentment in him and not in a change of circumstances. And on the other hand, you can be here today and you've got a great job and you've got a great family life and you've got money in the bank. You're getting good grades at school. You're a star athlete on your school's team. Things are going the way you would like them to go. Here's the promise of this passage. God can orchestrate certain blessings in your life and your heart cannot be tied to you, your heart can be tied to Jesus you can say I love him now, often we don't know that until they're taken away and then we're tested but but you can you can have your heart rooted in Christ and one of the ways we do that is we take what he's given us and we leverage it uh, for his glory and so if he's given me a lot I can give a lot and be contented. If he's given me gifts, I can use those gifts to serve others. If he's given me opportunities, I can use those opportunities to get the gospel to other people or to help someone who's suffering. So I can be content and not grasp the blessings I have by giving the blessings relationally, financially, whatever they are, to others and not be be afraid of that because my contentment is in him. So We can be content whether we have a lot or whether we don't. We can pursue contentment. And the way we pursue contentment is we pursue Christ, as I was reading. Read chapter 3 again. Paul says, I want to be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own, but I want to be found in him. That's everything to me. If we pursue Christ by, through the Scripture, learning what he's like, studying, meditating, memorizing his word, if we feast on Christ, if we pursue him, we'll get contentment as a byproduct. You'll get contentment thrown in. 
You don't just pursue, man, I want to be content. I want my heart to be at rest. You pursue Christ, and you get a restful heart thrown in. The bigger he is in your eyes, the bigger he is in my eyes, the more likely I'll rest in my circumstances. Con- lastly, contentment comes by faith. It, it comes by faith. As Christ is more wonderful to us, we rest in him and rejoice in him, and we trust in him. If we're, if we're in a situation where our circumstances are rich and what Paul calls facing plenty and facing abundance, if that's our circumstances today, then we can put others' interest above our own. That's chapter 2 of this letter. And we can use those blessings to be a blessing to others. If we're in a state where we don't have much of whatever it is, then we can trust the Lord, we can pray, we can, we can fix our hearts and minds on his scripture and uh, we can trust him that in the midst of that, he will give us contentment. But it always requires faith. If I don't have, it requires faith to trust him. If I do have, it requires faith to leverage those things, not just for me, but for others. That requires faith. It all requires faith. There is no contentment without trust in God. And some of us may think we're content because things are going great, and we don't have any problems, um, or few problems. Then we need to take that type of life and that type of lifestyle and say, how can I serve? How can I sacrifice? How can I love others in the midst of that? And we'll find our contentment there. The payoff in that situation is not instant like selfishness, but it is, it's real and it's enduring. So wherever you are today, whatever it means, as I read the lyrics of the song, whatever it means for you to look and say, I want to be like that because they get it. Wherever, whatever situation you dream of that you feel like you don't have contentment in, I want to direct our eyes to Christ today because contentment is found in Him. That's the secret. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. I can know Jesus, love Jesus, serve Jesus, enjoy Jesus among the company of His people as well. I can do that by His power. So church, let's ask for His power this morning. You've been listening to a message from Grace Church. For more information, visit our website or write us at podcast at gracechurchfrisco.org.